At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? All right, this morning, if you have a Bible, electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew 24 today, so go ahead and turn there. And I'm excited that we get to start a new series today entitled What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today. Uh, This is going to be one of those sermon series that you are going to want to invite your friends to. Uh, this, if, if, you miss, if your friends missed it today, they can watch it online. The first service was already recorded, and it's already up on, on Facebook, so you can share, share the heck out of it so that we can uh, just allow people uh, to hear as we talk about the end of the world according to Jesus. What does Jesus say is, is how the end is going to look like? What should we be looking for, and how can we be faithful in the days that are ahead? And you know, with the events that of this last 12 months, I think there's been a lot of growing curiosity about end times. And there's been this growing uh, questions about when is the return of Jesus going to happen? How can we know? How can we be prepared? And I think that this curiosity has fueled a lot of confusion. A lot of people are out there now trying to, to claim this and claim that. And over the past year, more than any other time in ministry, I've been asked, Uh, almost on a weekly basis, someone will send me a YouTube video or they'll send me this article and they'll say, read this from this person talking about the signs that they see and I'd love to know your take on it. And I love getting questions like that. So if you do have questions along the way or you read articles or other things, I'd love for you to pass them along my way and I'll I'll read them and I'd love to respond um, to them. But I've learned that there is a lot of confusion and a lot of contradictory information that's floating around social media and the internet. I've heard things like, crazy things like uh, the vaccine is the mark of the beast or to, to wear a mask is to take on the mark of the beast or even to the extreme people claiming that Jesus is definitely gonna return in 2021. Like, and I'm sure if I were to take a poll right now, you guys could come up with some crazy things too that you've heard or that you've seen or that you've heard discussed. And you know what I think is important that we do during this season is understand that the curiosity is a good thing, right? It's good that people are curious and even our own curiosity as we want to know and want to, to grow in our knowledge and understanding. But this curiosity should drive us to the source of truth, The source of truth is God's word and God's word alone. And so we must come to God's word to see what he says about uh, the truth and about how we should be living. But I also think that this curiosity is good because it opens the door for spiritual conversations. As people are wondering, people are, are seeing that they're, they're objects of hope that they've had for a while. Maybe it's a, a person or maybe it's a position or maybe it's their finances. And this year, those objects of faith have been wrecked. They've been torn down and people right now are living in a place where they're like, I have no hope. I don't know what to hope in. And it's a unique season because when God, God makes space in a person's heart to see that their worldview isn't working, 
they're more receptive to hear the gospel. Now, the truth is, is that someone's got to interject the gospel into their lives so that they can hear it, or they're going to just go to some other, other source of, of, of hope. And then they're going to go from broken hope to broken hope to broken hope to broken hope. And what's going to increase in their life is anxiety and fear and depression because they're like, is there any hope? And you and I have the blessing of knowing what that hope is. The hope is found in the person of Jesus who came and lived a perfect life and died on a cross to pay for our sins and went to a grave and rose again so that our sins can be forgiven and our relationship with God restored. This is the living hope that we have. And in this season, as people are curious, we need to be interjecting truth into their lives. What people don't need during this season is they don't need to know what you think. Right? As people are coming to me and they're, they're saying, hey, pastor, I want to know your take on this. I want to know your take. on You don't necessarily need to know my take on something. What you need to know is what God's word says. And I'm so thankful for this sermon series because this is exactly what we're doing. We are going to go to Jesus's words himself over the next several weeks. And we're going to look exactly what he says, where he gives us a picture of what to look for uh, as, as his return comes close, and how do we live in light of that? So the series will help us uh, know, help us navigate through the truth and the lives, the good, the truth and the lies, the good and the bad that we encounter, so that during this season we can be informed and we can be prepared. So the writing that we're taking a look at over the next few weeks, the, the style of writing is that it's prophetic. Now, we know throughout Scripture, there's different forms of literature. There's poetry, there's narrative, and, and uh, there, there are other forms. But this form is special in that it is prophetic, where the person that is prophesying or is looking from a, a current place in history and is looking forward and predicting or foretelling things that are to come. And Jesus is taking this prophetic position now, and he is going to be telling uh, of the things that are to come. So we listen to his words, we understand his words, and we learn from them. And so having said all that, let's look at uh, chapter 24, uh, beginning in verse 1. As I said, we look at this passage, we're going to see three declarations that Jesus makes about the future. The first declaration that Jesus makes is he describes the great destruction that is to come. Look at me in verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the, building of, the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So right out of the gate, Jesus is foretelling a future events that begin with the foretelling of the destruction of the temple that's there in Jerusalem. Now really to understand, uh, anytime we come to a passage of scripture, we've got to understand the context around it. Because the context helps us understand how to best interpret the message that we're hearing right now. So many times, and, and this is a, a great test, whenever you hear someone teaching something, when you want to, to look at it, no one won't just take it at face value, but especially if someone's teaching from the word of God, keep it in context. Look at what comes before it, look at what comes after it, and, and uh, really see if it measures up. Because so, it's so easy to go to scriptures 
a single scripture and cherry pick a scripture and make it say something that it doesn't. And we need to make sure that we're keeping it in context. So let's look at the context of what Jesus is getting ready to say. So in the life of Jesus, what's getting ready to happen is Jesus is on his way to the cross. His crucifixion is is imminent and it's on its way. And as he's getting ready to go to the cross, he has just spent time in chapter 23 inside the temple. He and his disciples were there and they were answering uh, accusations that were coming to them from the religious leaders. So they had been defending the faith, defending uh, the truth of God. And in chapter 23, Jesus looks to the, the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, those that are supposed to be leading people to God. He gives them some condemnations. He gives them seven woes in, in chapter, chapter 23. He says, woe to you because you are supposed to be the, the guides to my people. And in fact, you have been blind guides leading them away. They'd become hypocrites, teaching the the truths of God without living the truths of God. And Jesus ends chapter 23 with a a lament over all Jerusalem. For Jerusalem had rejected Jesus just as Jerusalem and God's people had rejected the prophets that came before him. And so because of this rejection, because of this hypocrisy, Jesus says that judgment is coming and the temple will be destroyed. So that's how he ends. And then he picks back up in chapter 24, but it's interesting to see that Jesus has just talked about the destruction and this judgment that is to come. And it's almost as though the disciples were completely oblivious to it. Because it looks, if you look at verse 24, they just left the temple and then when they were going away, when the disciples came to him and pointed out the buildings of the temple. It's, it's almost as though they are marveling at the beauty of this temple building. You see, this temple building was important in the life of God's people. It was the sign of his presence among them. And so it, it, was, it placed an important place in the culture of their lives. This was the place that they would come throughout the years for this very special festivals where they would worship God, where they would sojourn back to Jerusalem and they would worship in this temple. And the temple that they're talking about right now was the temple that King Herod built. Now, Herod was installed by the Roman government to come and lead Jerusalem, and the Jews in the area didn't like Herod at all. And so in order to to try and make some peace between them, Herod decided that he was gonna rebuild the temple. And this temple was a beautiful, magnificent building. It took over 80 years to build. And as uh, in history right now, it still had about seven or eight more years until it was completed as the disciples are looking at it now. And so it's almost as though the disciples are looking at the building, they're marveling at its beauty, they're marveling at its opulence. And Jesus turns to them, And says, this building is coming down. Every stone is going to be disturbed. I think Jesus is making this statement now because the disciples were displaying the great tragedy of the Jews. You see, the Jews had placed their faith in the wrong thing. God never wanted his people to place their faith in a thing. It's always been in him. And even now, the way we place our faith in God is through the work and the person of Jesus. That's the only source of salvation. Jesus is the only source that is secure. And whenever we place our faith in anything other than that, we run the risk 
of falling into destruction. And so these disciples are showing the great tragedy of the Jews. They saw the temple and they believed that as long as the temple was okay, that they were okay with God. That somehow because God's presence was supposed to be in the temple, if the temple was good, then they thought that they were good with God and that they could live however they wanted to. And so they got everything out of whack. And instead of trusting in God, they did their own thing. And now God says one of the forms of judgment that is going to befall them is they will see the destruction of the temple. It's all coming down. It's, not, it's unimportant that this 80 years that was given into building this building, the amount of money that was spent, it doesn't matter because it's coming down. And we know that it came down because in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. After Jesus resurrected from the dead, we, we learned that from history that tensions between the Jews and the Roman Empire continued to increase. That even one time the, the governor of or the king of J Jerusalem went into the temple and took some of the silver out of the temple and that ticked the Jews off. And in 66 AD, we see that the Jews were fed up and they began to live out a rebellion against the Roman Empire. And that didn't go well. For the Roman emperor at that time, Vespian, who was the emperor that came in after Nero, Vespian was like, we're not having this. And specifically, even inside the temple, the Jews stopped uh, giving sacrifices to, to the emperor like they used to do, which, again, was a horrendous thing. You should never do that. In God's temple, they were worshiping the emperor. And they stopped doing that. And so the emperor got ticked off, and so he sent his son Titus down there to utterly destroy Jerusalem. And in the process, by 70 AD, we see the temple is completely destroyed. The prophecy that Jesus gives here was fulfilled during the lives of these disciples. The lesson here is that there's great danger in placing faith in the wrong thing. There's great danger in placing faith in the wrong thing. When I was younger, when I was a kid, one of our favorite summertime activities was to go to the woods on the backside of our subdivision. And in those woods, there was a creek that ran, ran through the woods. And then atop of this hill, there was this rope swing. Now, who doesn't love a good rope swing, right? We all love rope swings. Well, there was this rope swing on top of the hill that, that went out over the creek and came back. And I loved going there uh, every summer and swinging on that rope and going way back and forth, back and forth. It was awesome. It was a thrill. But one summer where you go there, and all my friends are going on the rope swing, and then it became my turn. And I grab hold of that rope, and I run back as far as I could, and then I ran and I leapt as far as I could go, holding on to that rope, and that rope swung me out. And when it got to the point of most tension, and I was at my highest point, the rope snapped. And I came plummeting down to the earth and messing up my back, landing on my back and, and my head and all of that, and I was in deep pain. And, you know, I learned a very important lesson that day, that it is very important to test the thing that you're putting your faith in, right? That, that rope, I had gone to it year after year after year, always supported me, but I didn't test it that day. I didn't test to see if it would hold me up, if it would be secure. And guess what? It wasn't that day. It failed me. 
So we see great danger in placing our faith in the wrong thing. Today, I encourage you to test your faith. What is the object in your life that you're putting the most trust in? Where are you finding your significance? Where are you finding your security? Where are you finding your safety? Where are you finding your affirmation? Is it in a person? Is it in a, a building, in a home? Is it in a, a position or a, a, a possession or a position that you have? Is it in your finances? Because I'll tell you what, all of those things will fade. All of those things will break. All of those things will not stand the test of time. And if your faith is in them, it's heading towards, it'll lead you towards destruction. Because in this world, there's full of death, decay. If our faith is in material things, then they'll always let us down. But Jesus, Jesus is the person in which we can place all of our faith and trust in because he is faithful. He is good. He is the one that has done the work so that we can be forgiven of our sin. Is Jesus the source of your faith? Because if he is, he'll never let you down. He'll always get you through. So Jesus foretells of the great destruction. The second thing that we see that Jesus describes is the great deception. The great deception. Look at me in verse three. It says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Now we need to understand that something's, there's been a change in venue from verse 2 into verse 3. At the end of verse 2, we see that they are walking away from the temple. And as they're walking away from the temple, they're actually on their way up to the Mount of Olives. I've got a picture here of Jerusalem to help you kind of give this in a little bit of perspective. Now, that is not the temple of, of Jesus' day because that gets destroyed in 70 AD. But what you're seeing is modern-day Jerusalem from the vantage point on top of the Mount of Olives, okay? And so the disciples and Jesus travel down the valley and then back up the next mountain. And so as they're traveling, this Jesus like drops a bomb on them and says, hey, guess what? You know, the temple, this temple, this beautiful thing will be destroyed soon. This horrendous, you're gonna, this is a horrendous thing that's going to take place. And so as Jesus drops this news on them, they have the rest of this journey to the mountain to consider these things. And just like you or I, if, if Jesus were to drop a bomb on us, we would begin scrambling in our minds, having all of these questions. They have all these questions. They're like, when is this gonna happen? What is the sign of your coming? And when is the end? we see because of these questions that they were utterly disturbed. This was the most horrendous scene they could, they could imagine in their minds. And Jesus says that it's going to happen. For the temple was so important to God's people because it was a monument to the nations to show how the God of the universe had a special kind of love to his people. 
And now they hear that it's going to be destroyed. You know, if you've been alive for a long time uh, or even a short amount of time, that in life, God has allowed us to see some disturbing events. Maybe you were alive during Pearl Harbor when uh, the U.S. Navy was under attack. Or maybe you were alive and you got a chance to witness 9-11 when those airplanes flew into those buildings. Or maybe even most recently you were disturbed when you saw the, the, the uh, things that took place at the U.S. Capitol. These events that we witness rock us because they are an attack on our sense of safety and security. When the sources of our safety and security are attacked, it causes us to, to ask big questions. Now just imagine for a moment, I want to put it in perspective, okay? Now this is not, um, this is not a prophetic word that I'm giving here, but I'm trying to help you understand the perspective, okay? Imagine that you're a disciple, okay? And Jesus is here and he says that in the coming days, America is going to be no more. America as a nation is going to go away. How would that make you feel? That's how the disciples are feeling right now. They're feeling as though their world is rocked. They're like, well, if that's going to happen, then the end's going to have to come because I can't, I can't imagine life without the temple. Can you imagine life without the temple? No, they couldn't. And could you imagine life without America? We, we can't. It's, it's hard for us to describe and, and to feel. And so that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Or feeling, you're feeling exactly what Jesus is saying. So naturally, we would have questions. Right? Because what happens is we have this, inside of us, we have a pain avoidance reflex. Right? When we hear about bad things that are to come, we want to know, like, am I going to be a part of it? And when's it going to come so I can avoid it, if, if at all possible, or so I can get out of Dodge if it's going to happen? Like, I, I need to know these things. I don't want to go through difficult things. And what we see is that God doesn't save the disciples from the pain. But he gives them the purpose he says, I'm, you're going through this pain because I want to give you the purpose of proclaiming God's goodness and pointing people to Jesus as they walk through the pain. So Jesus hears their questions. He hears their concern. And now he begins in verse four, he begins to answer their questions. Being a good God that cares for them. He's going to start off by giving us some general conditions and warnings that do not necessarily signal the end. That's what he does in verses 4 through 8. And then he goes into a time of, of verse 8, giving more specific things to look forward to as the end draws near. So he says, generally speaking, there will be a time that will be marked with great deception. He says, see to it no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Jesus says, he warns them to not be deceived. He says, in your life, you will face disturbing things. You will walk through seasons of pain and suffering, and you will be tempted to cling to people. You'll be tempted to cling because that's a human response. Naturally, when we go through difficult times, we want a sense of, of security. We want a sense of safety. We want heroes in our lives. We want saviors in our lives. 
We want someone that's going to come in and promise that everything, that we follow them, everything is going to be okay. These are false messiahs. He says, they're going to come. Many are going to come. Many are going to come. He says, but don't be deceived. There can only be one savior. There can only be one source of eternal security. There can only be one source of eternal safety. And it's only found in the person of Jesus. Anything else will disappoint. So he says, don't be deceived. Don't, don't be led astray. Don't be moved when you hear people proclaiming safety and security and promises of a better future. Don't be deceived. Don't be led astray. Do not give them your attention. Do not give them affect, your affection. Do not be moved from trusting in Jesus. Don't follow people that preach or speak hope that comes from any other source other than God himself. This means don't follow people. Don't follow personalities. Don't follow politicians. Don't, don't give your heart away to them because many will be led astray. Many will give themselves over to false saviors. And those false saviors can find themselves in many, shape and, in many shapes and forms. So Jesus says, don't be deceived. Many good people will not follow Christ. They will follow people. He gives a second warning. In verse six, he says, don't be alarmed. He says, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Jesus is saying in life, your security and safety will be tested. Like, I don't know anything more terrifying than war. Right, I, I don't, like, like to, to be in a position where someone is my enemy and seeks my death. Like their sole purpose, their sole goal in life is to kill me. Or their sole goal in life is to kill someone that I love. Right, war is nasty. War is dangerous. War promotes fear. And so he says, as you walk through this, this rumors of wars and wars themselves, don't be alarmed. These wars do not mark the end. War has been a part of history. Like even if we look back in American history, we can see that war has been a, a, a part of our, our history. But he says, just because you go through wars, like generally speaking, things are not gonna get better. Generally speaking, things are gonna get worse. And what you're gonna see is there will be war. So don't be alarmed. Like be sober-minded about it. Don't run around like a chicken with your head cut off when you see these things happening. These must take place, but it's not yet the end. Then in verse seven, he says that gives another reality. There will be all kinds of scary things that will go through that we cannot control. He says, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. He says, all of these things will happen. So don't let nations, nature, or lack of necessity make you fear or freak out. For all these are not the end. These are general conditions that are going to happen in the fallen world. All of these things that can be caused for you to fear are going to happen. So don't be alarmed. Don't be overwhelmed by it. Don't be deceived. Don't be alarmed because God is in control. 
And Jesus goes on to say in verse 8, he says, all of these are but the beginning of birth pains. This is an interesting and curious illustration that Jesus uses here. Now, I've had the, the benefit of not having to go through the childbirth uh, as a participant of actually have, doing it, but I've been able to watch it happen four times, the mirac- miracle of life as I've watched my wife enter into labor with each of our four kids. And this, it's like, I'm, it's amazing that Jesus uses this as an illustration because when you think about the labor process, there's some things that I've learned having walked through it. First of all, that with labor, there is a predictable pattern. There's a predictable pattern that once labor begins, you can't stop it. Like It's this unstoppable force that once a woman actually goes into labor, you may be able to delay it a little bit, but that baby's coming. Whether you like it or not, you can't stop it. But I've also learned that in childbirth, uh, when labor begins, that these contractions... The muscles begin to contract to try and help the baby come come out is is what happens. They start off kind of subtly. And then as they move on, they become more intense and they become more frequent. And then it's like contraction, contraction, contraction. And then you know what I've also learned? Not only is there a predictable pattern, but with childbirth, there's a lot of pain. A lot of, I have no idea what that feels like. And I'm not even going to pretend like I know what it feels like, but I know that it, it, it comes along with lots of screaming and lots of yelling. And as a man, like when you hear that stuff, you're like powerless. You're like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do this to you, baby. <laughs> lots of pain, lots of screaming. But you know what? As it ramps up, as, as the contractions come closer and as the, the pain becomes more intense, it eventually ends in the moment of birth. And it's almost as though there's, there's a release. And what's left is peace. I'll never forget holding Karis for the very first time. Like holding her in my, my arms, seeing the battle my wife just went through, like feeling bad for her. But at the same time, like, this is awesome. And Sarah will even tell you, like, she's like, it was all worth it. It was all worth it. And this is the illustration that Jesus gives us about the end. He says, this is, this is what it's going to be like. Things are going to get progressively worse. That they're going to become more intense and they're going to become more frequent and you're going to go through a lot of pain. But you've got to go through the pain in order to experience the peace. So he says, don't be deceived. Don't be alarmed. God's in control. He's got this. But these are general signs they'll know that the season is becoming ripe for his return. But then he moves on and gives us the great declaration in verse nine. He says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be, in, be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Now Jesus is moving from general to more specific. He, he's, he's moving now because he uses this word then 
which is a clear mark of a shift. What he's saying is it's, 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 it's a move towards the closeness of the end. The shift is from things that are, are present and localized in the world, like wars and famines and earthquakes. Those, those happen in specific places at specific times. But then he goes on and he says, when you see these things happening, they will be personal and they will be global as the near, as it becomes, the end comes near. So he's saying the, 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 the battle is coming to you. And as we get closer to the end, tribulation will increase, suffering will increase, and it will not only be just localized to, to maybe a, a continent or to a people group, but this is going to be globalized. And the more global it goes, the closer it is to the end. Jesus is reminding us that just because we are believers doesn't mean that we're gonna be free from pain. Look at how he describes this. He says, as, as we move closer to the end, th there will be more tribulation, that, that people will deliver you up, you as Christians, not just the disciples. He's not just talking to the disciples, but he's talking to you and I. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away. Why will many fall away? Well, many are gonna fall away because there will be present false prophets. False prophets that are gonna come in the way of pastors and preachers and teachers and, and, and other sources, YouTube personalities and other things like that. They're gonna come and they're gonna preach a false gospel to you. They're gonna leave out parts of the gospel. They're gonna say, well, Jesus saves and, and everything's gonna be fine if you just believe in Jesus or if you just give money to the church, everything's gonna be fine. Your life's gonna be fine. And if you believe a false gospel, if you've been taught a false gospel, then what's gonna happen when the tribulation is gonna come? You're gonna say, oh, I didn't sign up for this. Like I, I signed up for like to go to heaven and, and be free from pain. That's what I signed up for. And then when this tribulation happens, you're gonna be like, oh, I'm out. And then what that's gonna cause is there's been a, a, a source of security and safety and salvation that a person has believed in. And then when persecution comes, that source is going to be tested. And then they're going to be like, what? I've believed a lie. And then what's going to happen is that they're going to turn on the true believer. Do you see that in the passage? Because their source of safety was a lie. They're going to seek to destroy those that still believe in Jesus because they thought they believed in Jesus. This is what he says. And many will fall away. And these that fall away, these that believe in a false gospel, will betray one another and hate one another. Hate will be on the rise as we move towards the end. And these many false prophets will arise and lead many astray because lawlessness will increase and the love of many will grow cold. This is not a rainbows and butterflies future that is headed for those who believe. This is a dark and painful direction that the people of the church are going to experience. 
Now, I don't know, I don't know what form of tribulation. I don't know when this great tribulation is, is, is going to come. I know we, we experience a little bit of, of tribulation and, and maybe it ebbs and flows. And, and I know that there are many times that the church has endured difficult times. And I'm like, it's gotta be close to the end. Like it's, it's gotta be close to the end because this is really, really bad. I only have to imagine the church during the time of Nero must have felt the same way. But he's, he's saying that that's just realize that it's going to happen. So when it happens to you, don't let it dismay you. Don't let it dis, disarm you. But because of this tribulation, suffering and hatred, many will fall away. And one of the things that I see in our time is that the world is even becoming more and more ripe. For this, this, this Christian nation that we are, were a part of or founded as, whatever that is, however the Christian faith found its way into our founding as a country, I want us to see that they are, there's this growing anger and animosity towards the church. There's this trend that's kind of shocking in our world right now. Have you guys heard of the, the phrase cancel culture? This is shocking. Like the way that this is happening. Like I, I agree when, when, when people say things, they need to be held accountable. I agree about that. If you say thing that's off or you say some, something that's racist or you say something you know, that, that, that is, goes against God's word, you should be held accountable. But what's taking place in this cancel culture is anyone, if you say anything that's offensive to someone else, it's like the mob has the opportunity to totally destroy your life. Right, you lose your job, you lose your, your personality, you lose, every, you lose everything if you, if you are say things that are offensive. Well, guess what? The gospel is the most offensive message ever. Right? Can you think of anything more offensive than the gospel? The gospel says you're not okay. The gospel says you're a sinner. The gospel says you're a rebel against God and you deserve to go to hell. That's not offensive? No, that's the most offensive thing. And the gospel comes alongside it, with it again and says, you can't save yourself. There's nothing you can do to fix this rebellion in your heart. You're, you're, dis, you're destined for destruction. And people get to there and they're like, you're telling me I'm a sinner? How dare you? You're telling me that, that what I'm doing is sinful? How dare you? And what's gonna happen? They're gonna seek to destroy those that bring words of offense. But Paul says, I love Romans uh, chapter 116. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed because of the power of God unto life. See, it's gonna, it's gonna happen. It may not happen like, I'm not saying it's happening tomorrow. I'm, I'm saying that don't be surprised. If you speak the name of Jesus, the message that we share is offensive. And as we move on, People will be offended by it. But some will see the beauty of the gospel. Because the gospel doesn't just end in an offense. It begins by, by saying, hey, you're not okay. But then the message of Jesus comes alongside and says, guess what? You can be forgiven. You can be forgiven for all of your sin. You don't have to live in the shame. You don't have to live in that anger. You can have a restored relationship with the God of the universe. You can be at peace. And it comes through believing in Jesus. This is the most offensive message, 
but it is the message, the only message that brings hope and salvation to a lost and dying world. You see the power? He says, you're gonna, you're gonna preach it, you're gonna believe it, and the world's gonna turn on you, the love of the world's gonna grow cold. But he says, don't allow this to shake your faith. Why? Because he leaves us in this passage with a positive prediction. Look at the last verse, verse 14. Oh, verse 13, he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So the, the, the one that, that, that jumps out and says, you know what, I, I'm not in this. I, I'm not here. For, I, I, I signed up for a wrong thing. I signed up for a different thing than this. That person will not endure. But the one that do, does endure the tribulation, the persecution, the trials, the difficulty, that person that endures and still maintains faith in Jesus will be saved. But then he goes on and he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. He ends with a positive prediction. When the great commission is complete, the end will come. When the church has finished the task of evangelizing the world, Christ will come again. Right, he, that's what he says. He says, go into the, all the world and teach them and baptize them and disciple them. He says, when you're done doing that, then the end will come. What does this actually look like? I don't know specifically. But I do know that he tells us that he tells us some things while we wait for his return. He says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, but do this, right? Don't be deceived, don't be alarmed, don't freak out. But instead, while you wait, while you're not doing those things that the rest of the world does, guess what? You freed up a lot of your time. Right, because worry and being deceived and all that stuff takes a lot of time. He says, if you're not giving yourself over to that, then you have all this time. And how do we fill our time? By completing the Great Commission. If we're not being alarmed, we're not fearing, we have time to love our neighbor. We have time to share with them about the love of Jesus. And when the gospel reaches the ends of the earth, the end will come. So don't be deceived, don't be alarmed, but instead, engage. Endure and engage. Endure, realize, continue as we go through these difficult times. Remember, God is in control. God is in control. God is in control. God is in control. I can trust him. I can trust him. I can trust him. Don't listen to any other message other than that of Christ. But then advance or engage. How do we engage? This is a beautiful season in human history that people are open to the gospel. So we should be bearers of the name of Jesus everywhere we go. People are dying to hear the message of hope that we have inside of us. And so how do we do that? I wanna give you two things, two ways. One, begin by investing. Investing your life and time with people that don't know Jesus. Give your life over to spending time with people that don't know Jesus. And do so not allowing them to influence you, but get close to them so that you have the opportunity to influence them. Because guess what's gonna happen? As you're investing in the life of people around you, each one of them have worldviews. Each one of them are, have placed their faith in things that are shaken. And guess what God's gonna allow to happen over the course of time as you've invested in them? Those objects of their faith are gonna be dismantled. 
right? The, the one that, that finds all their significance and all their identity in their relationship with this person, right? And then that relationship ends. They now are in a place where there's this huge hole in their life. And because you've invested in your life, they know that you love them and you, they know that you care for them. And as you see them in their pain, that's the opportunity you come in and say, guess what? Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to fill that void in your life with something that will sustain you forever. That's how it works. We invest so that we can invite people into a relationship with Jesus. Does that make sense? It's not rocket science, right? There's some great opportunities. I mean, this is a great time to invite your friends to church, invite your neighbors to church, especially as we're walking through this sermon series. I'll guarantee you, if you go to one of your friends or neighbors and say, hey, have you ever considered like, how's the world gonna end? What's it gonna look like? How do we prepare for it? And they'll be like, yeah, I've wondered that. Well, why don't you come to church? Come to church with me. You can wear a mask. You can sit in the mask section, the unmasked. You can, you can come to church. Just come to church. So invite your friends to church. Invite your family to church. Or all of our videos or all of our sermons through this series are going to be um, uh, recorded on Facebook. So you can share that link out to everyone that will listen. But invite friends. Let them know that there is hope. This is a, one of those great sermon series that you can do that to. But spend time with people because we know that while we wait for his return, the greatest thing that we can do is to carry out the great commission until all here as we wait on his return. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your words of truth today. Father, I pray for us. Father, I pray in these moments that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to know how that we are to respond to your word of truth that we heard today. Father, maybe we've allowed voices in our heart and our lives that are deceiving us. Father, help us to be aware of those voices and the influence that we've allowed them to have in our lives, and may we reject them. For some, maybe it's getting off of social media. Maybe it's stop following a personality that spews hate. Father, help us not to be deceived. Or maybe there's someone here that is been walking through this life and you have been dismantling the objects of their faith. Father, I pray that they today would come to you. I pray, God, that they today would give you that space in their lives. Or maybe the current events of this year or the season of life has caused a lot of fear. For those that are here that are operating out of a sense of fear, God, I pray that they would be reminded not to be alarmed, not to be overwhelmed. But Father, I also pray, God, that you would put it in our hearts and put it in our minds right now that you've called us to a mission 
the mission is not to sit back on the couch and enjoy our salvation, but it is to go to those that hate us and will hate us and make our enemies our brothers. Now, this is the mission that you've called us to. May we be faithful, God, as we wait for your return. Continue to speak, God, in these next few moments and help us to know what you want us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.